us. <laughs> Slides. Thank you. You don't know if you should get skim milk, 1%. Should you get soy milk, 2% milk, whole milk? You know, there's all, all these choices that you have to make when you go to the supermarket. And you also have to make choices besides what to buy. You make choices how you're going to use your time each day. Maybe you make a choice when you're going to get on the computer, when you're going to get off the computer. You might make a choice when you go to bed. All kinds of things. Now, when my sons were small, I would give them a choice. I would say, would you like for a snack, would you like an apple or a banana? And they would say, I would like a cookie. Another little bit amusing example. Long ago, I used to teach English at, a, at my home. I lived in Tokyo. Some of you know I was pastor at West Tokyo Union Church for 17 years, and I also had a women's Bible study at my home, and the members were all Japanese. And I lived in um, Fuchushi. It's near Chofu, Mitaka, those of you who know West Tokyo. That's where I was living. And anyway, um, I would ask the class members who came, do you want coffee or tea? And they would say, yes. <laughs> it's very common in Japan. So, <laughs> Well, we hear what choices and advice Moses says to the Hebrew people in what surely is one of the longest sermons in history, all of Deuteronomy. Now, don't worry, I'm not going to preach on all of Deuteronomy today, just the scripture passage that I chose for today. So I made a choice on what to preach on, and I made a choice not to preach a terribly long sermon. In our reading from Deuteronomy this morning, we heard some of Moses' final instructions to the Hebrew people. And many of you know the story. He led them out of slavery in Egypt, and for 40 years they were wandering in the desert. They were about to cross the River Jordan and enter the Promised Land, although Moses wouldn't be going with them. Moses made it clear that in their new home that they will face fatal choices, choices that will determine whether their future will be one of prosperity or adversity, blessing or curse, life or death. His words also make clear that their choices will be made and their future lived out as creatures within creation, as dwellers in the land, in the presence of heaven and earth. Moses says, I have called heaven and earth to witness against you today that I have set before you life and death, blessings and curses. Choose life so that you and your descendants may live, loving the Lord your God, obeying him, and holding fast to him, for that means life to you and length of days, so that you may live in the land of the Lord, the land that the Lord swore to give you to your ancestors, to Abraham to Isaac, to Jacob. Like the people of ancient Israel, we also are faced with choices that mean life or death, blessings or curses for ourselves and for our descendants. Now, choosing life does mean keeping God's commandments. Choosing life means to love God and walk in God's ways. Choosing life means loving our neighbors. Choosing life means protecting God's world, God's
God's wondrous creation. And these are all choices. Creation is God's gift to us of a world of abundance, beauty, and mystery, a living and life-sustaining planet with water to drink and air to breathe and fertile soil in which to grow food, a world of forests, of oceans, of mountains, of plants and animals, etc. Creation is indeed God's gift to us, but not for us alone. Rather, it's a gift for all people, for all of God's creatures. Sadly, though, through our history as a species, we have not always treated creation and other creatures with the respect they deserve. We have not always justly shared the earth and its fruits with our neighbors. Too often, we have not chosen to walk in God's ways, in the ways of justice, peace, and care for the earth. Too often, we have chosen instead to bow down to and serve the gods of greed, hatred, domination, and self-indulgence. Past generations have made both good and bad choices, and we and the rest of creation live with the consequences of those choices. One of the choices that have, has been to get the overwhelming majority of our energy this is a choice we've made, the overwhelming majority of our energy from fossil fuels. That choice has brought both blessings and curses, life and death. Now with energy, we have created industries and technologies that have brought prosperity. But this has not been, unfortunately, for everyone. Japan is now depending heavily on imported fossil fuels to meet its energy demands. After the oil crisis in the 1970s, Japan aimed to become less dependent on fossil fuels and crude oil from the Middle East. But there's been little progress. Japan is 88.9% dependent on fossil fuels and is still dependent on the Middle East. Japan has tried, tried to diversify its energy sources in order to avoid excessive reliance on fossil fuels. And the key to doing this was development of the nuclear power plants. And some of you may know this, that there's 39 um, operable reactors in Japan. However, the 2011 Great East Japan earthquake led to the suspension of operations of nuclear power plants nationwide. And they've had stricter regulations now and inspections, and there's been opposition from local people so that means now, only eight, after eight and a half years since that triple disaster, only five nuclear power plants and nine reactors have been reactivated. Now, people in our church might be divided on the use of nuclear power plants, but there's no denying that ever since the nuclear disaster in Fukushima, there's been some concern about the after effects. You may remember that on March 11th, 2011, a magnitude of nine earthquakes struck northeast Japan. Um, I was um, very shocked that this had happened. I was in Tokyo at the time, and we also felt it there. More than 22,000 people were killed or left missing. The tsunami flooded the Fukushima Daiichi nuclear power plant, damaging three nuclear reactors 
and triggering multiple meltdowns and explosions that released radiation over a large area. It was one of the worst nuclear accidents in history. Those of you who have been reading the newspapers might know there's an ongoing lawsuit called the Children's Radiation Lawsuit. Because of the radiation exposure from the leaks at the Fukushima plant, the study found that the number of surgeries for children under the age of one with complex congenital heart disease, or they call it CHD, spiked more than 14%. And there's been an increase in various kinds of influenza and gastronomicitis among the children in Fukushima. Thyroid and other forms of cancer are also a concern, just as it was among the people of Chernobyl. Now, some of you may not know about, some of you younger people may not know about Chernobyl, but it was a nuclear accident that occurred on, the, on April 26th, back in 1986. Japan continues to struggle with decommissioning the crippled nuclear reactors in Fukushima, and that's a task that's expected to take decades. But the Fukushima mothers became radiation experts to protect their children after the nuclear meltdown. And I had a privilege, the privilege of meeting many of these mothers because I was going out to Tohoku with um, my Methodist church board. We have a board that helps with disaster relief. And I know this church as well sent many people to help during the disaster. But the mothers there are forced to make choices, and choices about the food that they eat, the food that they feed their children, and they're testing everything, even still to this day. Rice, vacuum cleaner dust, seafood, moss, and soil for toxic levels of radiation. So we want a world that's safe for our children. Choices now are to look for sustainable energy, and one way to do that is to do what one of the members of our congregation is doing, and you will hear from him in a moment. And that's with our mode of transportation. So as good stewards of the earth, we can think about what we can do and what choices we can make. And it might be sim as simple as what you eat, if you're recycling, even what car you drive, but we can strive to use clean energy. So I'm going to ask our moderator, uh, Drew Marlette, to come up and explain a little bit about his work. How many of you know what he does for a living? Other than Meg. Okay, <laughs> Tamara does three of you, four of you, okay, five of you, okay, well, uh, more will know. You need to get a mic, yes. <laughs> Make sure it's on, okay? A lot for me today. Um, let me start by just saying I am in Japan because of fuel cells. Fuel cells are a form of energy or a way to produce energy. Um, and the company that I work for, W.L. Gore, um, is a manufacturer of one of the main components in a fuel cell. Sophie, can you put up the first slide? So, a little science lesson here in the middle of the sermon. Um, what is a fuel cell? <clears throat> a fuel cell is an electrochemical device. Just a battery is also an electrochemical device. Um, in the case of a battery, you put electricity in, it stores the electricity, and then you know, sends it out when the time comes. In the case of a fuel cell, instead of using electricity to charge the device, 
um, hydrogen fuel is used to supply energy. And by putting hydrogen into a fuel cell, I won't go into the details in electrochemistry, <laughs> um, electricity is produced and water is the only byproduct. Um, and down in the bottom there where it says protein, proton exchange membrane, that's the product that my company makes. Um, so I've moved to Japan to help to scale up or make more and more of this product so that the automotive industry can start to commercialize new cars using fuel cells. So the fuel cell becomes, go back, becomes the engine in the car and instead of having a gasoline tank, there's a hydrogen tank in the car. Um, there's still batteries that are on board the car, but they're used to store temporarily electricity and supply it to the powertrain or the motor, or the electric motors. Um, and the, so the fuel cell, when you go to the gas station, I'll say, but to the refueling station, um, instead of filling up with gasoline, you fill up with hydrogen gas. And instead of carbon dioxide, nitrous oxide, and particulates coming out of your tailpipe, only water comes out the other end. There's been some demonstrations where people will collect the, the exhaust from a fuel cell vehicle, put it into a cup, and drink it. So it's definitely a clean energy source. Go to the next slide. So gasoline vehicles, which we're all very familiar with, um, like I said, emit carbon dioxide, nitrous oxide, particulate matter. Um, so even in a compact or mid-sized car, the emissions can be relatively high. Um, electrical ve electric vehicles, um, those using batteries, um, can significantly reduce that. Um, they're already on the road. People see them everywhere here. Um, and if your electric vehicle is charged on the grid, those emissions go down. The emissions are now coming from the power generation, the power plant um, that's making the electricity. If those electric vehicles can be charged with renewable energy, like wind or solar power, then the emissions in a battery vehicle can also be down to zero. And go to the next one. But batteries have limitations. Batteries are heavy. Um, batteries are, have, because they're heavy, have limited range between charging. So you can go maybe uh, 300 kilometers and then you need to recharge. And the charging time can take hours, maybe two, three, five hours to recharge a car. Fuel cells, on the other hand, um, powered by hydrogen, have, are much lower weight for the amount of power they produce. Uh, they have a longer range between fueling, maybe six or 700 kilometers, and charging time is five minutes. It's very similar to filling up with gasoline. You just put it in, five minutes later, you're ready to go. Go to the next one. Fuel cells have a benefit beyond batteries and will be a complementary technology to batteries. So battery vehicles aren't going away, in fact, there's more and more of them every day. But that because of the limitations, um, heavier vehicles, uh, SUVs, minivans, 
uh, trucks, buses, can't hold that much weight of a battery. Right? There's just takes too many batteries to give them the power they need. So fuel cells are playing in this region where the, you need a longer distance to travel and you have a higher weight in the vehicle. You can go to the next one. This is a slide directly from Toyota, one of the main leaders in this technology. Um, their vision for the vehicles that they're producing is that by 2030, um, over half of their vehicles will be electrified. So that's including hybrid vehicles, battery vehicles, fuel cell vehicles is that little blue uh, strip on the bottom of the graph. And that by 2050, all of their vehicles will be CO2 neutral. So that's a major goal. Granted, it's 30 years in the future, but that's a large company with such big goals can make a lot happen. Go on to the next slide. These are three commercial fuel cell vehicles that are already on the roads today. Um, Toyota Mirai, I've seen one in, in Kobe. I think there might be a few driving around Kobe. Um, the Hyundai Nexo and Honda Clarity. So these are already commercial, but they're making maybe you know, 5,000 to 10,000 cars per year at this point. The hope by 2030 is that they're making millions of these cars per year. So I don't know if I'll be here still in Japan in 2030, but I really hope that this technology is, uh, meets its goals. So thank you. So we will have some choices to make in the future, and our children, our grandchildren, and our descendants are going to also have choices as well. Now last week in my sermon, I talked a little bit about the 16-year-old Swedish environmental activist, uh, Greta Thunberg, and what she was doing for climate change. Do the Norwegians know who I'm talking about, Greta Thunberg? Yeah, they're waving, okay. Very popular in Europe, they know who she is. Last week when I asked some of you folks, you, you didn't know her name, I was, hope by now you do. So in May 2019, she was featured on the cover of Time magazine, which named her the next generation leader. And many see her as a role model. She's credited with raising global awareness and the risk posed by global warming and climate change, withholding politicians to account for their lack of action on what Greta Thunberg calls the climate crisis. Now, she has made some extreme choices. The Swedish team doesn't take airplanes, and she's decided on zero-carbon mode of transportation, a racing yacht with solar panels and underwater turbines that generated electric power, and she did this to further bring awareness to the dangers of rising global emissions and pollution caused by human activity. And she set sail from England to attend the UN Climate Summit in New York, which will be held um, tomorrow, on well, be held on September 23rd. So she is there now. It took her two weeks to arrive safely in New York. And I just thought it was very cool, this boat she took. I'm not sure I would want to do the same thing she did. I heard there were no showers on the boat, but anyway, <laughs> she did it for climate change. 
Around the year 2030, so a little over 10 years from now, she said that we'll be in a position where we set off an irreversible chain reaction beyond human control. So she's made choices so as not to let this happen by changing her lifestyle and bringing awareness to others. She's also chosen to be a vegan as part of her advocacy to protect the earth. So she is doing a plant-based diet. And you might say, well, what does a plant-based diet have to do with our environment? Well, if you talk to Meg Miatani, she could probably give you a whole sermon <laughs> about it. This is our liturgist for today. So we're not letting her up here right now, but maybe another time. But um, animal agriculture is actually the leading cause of water and air pollution, as well as deforestation. And Oxford University has said, going vegan is the single biggest way you can reduce your environmental impact on the planet. So that might be a hard choice for some of you, going completely to a plant-based diet. But maybe you can try to do that once a day or um, gradually lead up to it, just to be aware of the choices that you make with your food. And it's something for us to think about and to be concerned about and to pray about. Greta also doesn't buy new things, but recycles. And I love recycling. When I was back in West Tokyo, I was known as sort of the recycle queen because I would collect all kinds of things. And when we had new people move in the community, I would give those things away. I recycled clothes, appliances, shoes, umbrellas, bicycles. And I'd pass on to other families. And I'd also give some things to Asian Rural Institute, which is our partner organization. It's KUCs as well as West Tokyo Union Churches. And we have Michael Shackleton. I don't know if he's here today, but he has a house full of things up on the top of Mount Roko, and he's also happy to pass things on to others. His home is kind of like a recycle shop, if you've ever been there. <laughs> Some of you are nodding. We also have a recycle shop, a charity recycle shop near Rokomichi called Orange Thrifty, and um, it's Ophimis Long and my, one of our favorite places to go shopping. So. But Greta started Fridays for Future, and there was a march last Friday evening in Minato-Koen, um, in Kobe. And I know there were some Canadian Academy students that also joined. And this is me here holding a poster and some of the people. It was raining, so some of us did have umbrellas. So we must choose a path to follow if we in future generations are going to live long on this gifted and graceful earth in faithful obedience to God with love and justice toward our neighbors and with care and respect for the whole of creation. You can see we walked over the bridge and then to Sanomia and then we came back. That's up on the far right, in the rain. <laughs> Does anyone remember Al Gore and the movie An Inconvenient Truth? Raise your hands. Okay, some of the older people do. All right, <laughs> okay. It was a film made about, made by the former United States Vice President, Al Gore. And he had a campaign to educate people about global warming. This is back in 2006. The hottest seven years in recorded history have occurred since the release of this film, Inconvenient Truth. Al Gore won the Nobel Peace Prize in 2007 for his work on climate change. And he's made a choice in his life to educate others. And he's also a vegan, so he made a food choice, which would make Meg Miyatani happy, to support climate change as well. 
So changing our lifestyles is one choice. And again, this is something you should pray about, discuss with your family. Living more simply and recycling, those are good choices. And another choice we can do as Christians is to elect leaders who support combating global uh, climate change and also environmental issues. So before you vote, prayerfully consider who will be the best choice. As Christians, we cannot ignore what goes on in the world and only focus on going on up to heaven. The advice theologian Karl, Karl Barth, Karl Barth, anybody? Karl Barth, you know, a few of you, good. The advice theologian Karl Barth gave to ministers of the, the word was to preach using the Bible in one hand and the newspaper in the other. His actual words were, take your Bible and take your newspaper and read both but interpret newspapers from your Bible. Now, of course, in this day and age, we have the internet, and besides newspapers, and we're inundated with news, both real and fake. So what can we do? We can make choices about what we read, and we can check the sources. We can listen to the experts as we educate ourselves and discern what is right and what is wrong. Pray and make a choice in our life the way that honors God and protects God's wonderful creation. In the United States, the movement among people of faith caring for God's creation is growing. In Europe, it's been growing. In Japan, as well. Now, for 30 years, a group called Creation Justice Ministries has ecumenically brought together dozens of Christian member um, communions, denominations, to share in the common mission, to care for God's creation. As Genesis 9:15 reminds us, God's covenant is not only with humans, but with every living creature. My denomination, United Methodist, has a group known as the United Methodist Women, and they've been very active with Creation Justice Ministries. Some of the women members have said, Air pollution not only puts our home at risk, but puts the health of youth and children across the nation in jeopardy. While we can make sustainable changes in our personal lives, like using reusable utensils or taking clean public transportation, it's up to the administration and lawmakers to make systematic changes that will address the issue of climate change at hand and in the future. My responsibility as a mother a woman of faith and an advocate for climate justice is to take action that will help protect God's creation for future generations. As a Christian, we live out our commitment to faith when we work to ensure current and future generations have, so that they have a chance to live in safe communities. So creating sustainable communities for the future is a choice. And we do have a choice. Let us choose life. Asian Rural Institute is one of our KUC mission partners, and we've supported them, and they do sustainable and organic farming with rural leaders from all over the world. They're in Tochigi Prefecture, but they do come to Kansai in what's known as a Kansai caravan every year. And some of you remember um, Jonathan McCurley, the missionary who's working there. Well, he will be preaching on November 10th, so put that in your calendar, November 10th, and he'll be talking to us about Asian Rural Institute their training, their servant leadership, 
how they're based on Christian foundations in changing communities and changing the world. We make choices as Christians. Do we? Do we choose life? Deuteronomy is a book of not only laws and rules, but also a testimony to the way we, as servants, are supposed to live in the eyes of God. The people of Israel said farewell to their prophet Moses before they crossed the River Jordan into the Promised Land, and they had a choice to go with God to the Promised Land. We can make a choice to protect the land that God has given us. In closing, I'll share some words from two songs, and one is a song by Pete Seeger. Some of you may not know who he is, you know, this shows my age, but he was a folk singer, he was a social activist back in the 60s and in the 70s. And he had a song called The Rainbow Race. And in that song, he said, go tell, go tell all the children, go tell mothers and fathers too. Now's our last chance to learn to share what's been given to me and you. One blue sky above us, one ocean lapping all our shores. One earth so green and round, who could ask for more? Heaven and earth will bear witness in very concrete ways to the choices you and I make today. And I'll close in prayer with words from another song. Let us pray. Loving God, help us to choose life that we might live and choose life that we might see a tomorrow let justice roll, roll like a river, flow like a river down. Let us make a choice to choose life today. Amen.